Welcome to Time Out with Dentons. My name is Jenny Andrews, and today I'm chatting with Emma Hodgman, one of our resolution experts. We're going to discuss some areas where disputes may arise between landlords and tenants under the new legislation and regulations which implement the National Cabinet's mandatory code of conduct for commercial leasing principles. As you all know, the code was announced on the 7th of April 2020 in response to the COVID-19 pandemic. Since then, the various states and territories have introduced legislation and regulations to deal with the code, ideally to implement the code across Australia. What we now see is that the legislation and regulations don't reflect the code exactly, and this leads to uncertainty and the potential for disputes. For example, in most states, the legislation says that when you are talking about the relief to be provided to the tenant, the parties are to have regard to the code and to the economic impact of the pandemic, and in some cases, other matters. So, Emma, what do you think the words have regard to really mean? If we were to follow the UK position, it would mean that the landlord would need a clear reason for departing from the code, but not a compelling justification for departing from it. Also, if the dispute does end up in a court or a tribunal, the New South Wales regulations say that the court or the tribunal is also to have regard to the code. So the court or tribunal will also need a clear reason for departing from it. So Emma, what do you think a clear reason would be? Do you think you could depart from the code, for example, where the landlord itself was suffering some kind of hardship? Yeah, so if if the landlord's own financial position might be a reason for not for, or for departing from the code uh, or the financial position of the tenant, is the tenant in receivership, the fact that there's only six months left to go on a lease, for example, and the tenant's holding over. Or another example might be where the landlord is subject to inconsistent obligations under a head lease, which would prevent them from or require them to depart from the code. So clearly with a head lease, for example, if the head lease only had a year to run, the landlord couldn't give the tenant a deferral longer than a year. Yes, exactly. Okay, so under the regulations, in most cases, you have to act in good faith, and that actually is consistent with the code. So what does good faith really mean? Do you think that that's not an area where there may be an argument between the landlord and the tenant? Yeah, there's definitely potential for disputes to arise around that. It mightn't surprise you to know that there is a, a wide body of case law on what good faith means. It's something that has been litigated for many years. Generally speaking, the courts have it interpreted to mean that the parties have to cooperate to achieve the commercial objectives of the contract uh, it requires them to act honestly and to act reasonably, having regard to the other party's interest. But that doesn't mean they're actually required to act against their own interests. Does it mean they have to act in a transparent fashion? Yes. So a lack of transparency might be an example of where there has been has not been good faith. So I think for this to work, both landlord and tenant are going to have to give full and frank disclosure. So if there was a reasonable request for information made by a landlord of a tenant and they refuse to provide that information, then that might be an example of where the tenant isn't acting in good faith. Agreed. So just thinking about that, what information do you think the landlord can actually ask the tenant for? Well, in Queensland, the legislation says that the tenant must provide supporting evidence, including any assistance being provided. And in WA the, or in Western Australia, the legislation says that the tenant must provide sufficient and accurate information, including evidencing the reduction in turnover. 
And the code doesn't set out an exhaustive definition of what sufficient and accurate information includes, but it does say that it includes information generated from an accounting system and information provided to and or received from a financial institution. So any of that type of information, I think a landlord would be uh, well justified in asking for a tenant to provide in order to establish what the impact of the lockdown has been on turnover. And so do you think that the landlord could ask the tenant uh, if it had any insurance or if it had, for example, uh, other financial support from the state government perhaps? Basically any assistance that the tenant's getting. So yes, definitely government assistance is something that um, I think a landlord could legitimately ask just recently, I think the New South Wales government has announced that they'll be providing assistance to some small businesses of grants of $3,000, any assistance like that. And also, yes, insurance. So some tenants may have business interruption insurance. I understand there's a there's another raft of disputes brewing at the moment between insurers and the insured as to whether or not the COVID-19 pandemic would respond or is caught by a business interruption insurance policy. But certainly I think a landlord is justified in asking whether insurance is held, whether a claim has been made. If a claim has been made, has it been denied? Is it still pending a, a response? And also I would argue that the obligation to provide information is an ongoing one. So For example, if the tenant did subsequently succeed in bringing a claim and was in receipt of an insurance, then I think that is something that the landlord is is entitled to ask the tenant to disclose so they have a full and complete picture of just what the impact has been. I agree with you about the ongoing obligation. I think that's quite consistent with the Retail Leases Act, uh, certainly in New South Wales, and the misleading and deceptive conduct provisions in the New South Wales and other states' legislation. Mm-hmm. But coming back to that transparency, I assume it works the other way around. So the tenant could presumably ask the landlord whether the landlord had any insurance and was receiving a payout from its insurer. Yes. So I think that the tenant would be entitled to ask the landlord the same type of question. So for example, we know that some banks, certainly the four major banks, have given some customers deferment of loan repayments. There is a bit of a disconnect here between what landlords are entitled to from the financier and what landlords are obliged to give tenants. So landlords have to give tenants a 50% rental waiver, they're not getting a corresponding waiver of loan repayments, they're just getting a deferral. So it's really being kicked down the road. So that is a bit of a mismatch. But certainly, I think a tenant would be entitled to ask a landlord if they're receiving any relief from their financier, any assistance from the government, including land tax relief, uh, and also whether the landlord is in receipt of any insurance payments as well. And coming back to the turnover itself, this period is a very interesting period because obviously some tenants would have been in straightened circumstances before the COVID-19 pandemic began. If their trading had been going down, there was a pattern of slow trading over the preceding months. That's not relevant at all, is it, to what you agree with the tenant now? No, I don't think it is. The the legislation doesn't require there to be any causal connection between the downturn and the COVID-19 pandemic shutdown. 
So whilst I'm sure there will be cases where a tenant's turnover was tracking down and might have been tracking down substantially and for some time, and in actual fact, the pandemic really had no impact on that other than probably making it a lot worse. But no, the tenant doesn't need to establish any causal connection between the downturn in turnover and the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. And what if you agree, you being the landlord, agree with the tenant to make a waiver or a deferral based on the tenant's performance for three months, say the first three months of the pandemic period, and then say there's a new wave, a second wave of COVID-19 and we have another shutdown, you're a restaurant or a gym and you are actually unable to open again, is the tenant entitled to come back and ask for further relief? It's a really good question and it's an area where I can see potential for disputes to arise because there is uncertainty around this topic. So in, uh, I think, Queensland, Victoria and Western Australia, they can a tenant can seek a second round of relief. In Queensland and Victoria, on the second occasion, the landlord doesn't have to provide a 50% waiver of rent. Other states, as I understand it, are silent on the issue. I think that you know, there's every likelihood that this is going to be an area where it's contentious and could give rise to disputes, particularly in, in relation to those states where they don't deal with the issue. So in those states where it's not mandated, do you think that there is anything the landlord could do? Can we put something in the documentation to deal with this? Yes, I do. I think that a landlord could, for example, in the first round of negotiations, if an agreement is about, about to be entered into, the landlord could require that the tenant get financial advice and also have the tenant acknowledge in the agreement that's entered into that the relief that has been agreed uh, meets the reasonably anticipated needs of the tenant. Having said that, yeah, circumstances do change. And if there was another lockdown, then that is something that is probably foreseeable, but it's obviously going to have a major impact on tenants. Hopefully it won't happen, but it could happen. So I think landlords are going to have to show a little bit of flexibility. But if we don't have another lockdown and things don't change significantly, yet a tenant is still struggling, it may help a landlord if before entering into the agreement, they've had the tenant get financial advice and they've had the tenant acknowledge that the arrangement does suit their reasonable needs. And then following on from that, there's this concept in the code, which is not in the legislation or all the legislation I've looked at, this concept of the subsequent reasonable recovery period. Mm-hmm. Most landlords are really just looking at relief for the prescribed period as it is in the various pieces of legislation. Do you think you really need to deal with that or are we just saying the law is the law, the code is not the law and therefore there's no re- subsequent reasonable recovery period? I think it probably comes back to the first question about having regard to. And if if the position is that the legislation requires the landlord to have regard to the principles of the code and the code principles include a reasonable recovery period, then yes, I do think it's something that regard has to be had too. That's not to say that you have to provide a reasonable recovery period, but I think you would at least need to address it if, if it's asked for. And again, it's going to depend on a case-by-case basis because there are some businesses that no doubt will need a longer recovery period than others. 
just by way of an example, you know, gyms, I would have thought, you know, that they haven't been able to operate at all. So they're going to probably need a bit longer to get on their feet. Whereas there are some other businesses where they have been able to trade on, albeit in a restricted or limited way, or they have been quite creative and found other sources of income. So they might lead not not such a, a significant period to recover as, as a business that hasn't been able to operate at all. Interesting. And then the big question on everybody's lips is pre-COVID breaches. Yeah. It seems that the landlord can claim on bank guarantees for pre-COVID breaches. Do you agree? Yes, I do. Although in South Australia and Queensland, the legislation there stays certain enforcement action, which is taken during a specified period before the commencement of the legislation in those states. And landlords who might want to rely on that enforcement action um, when the period ends might be well advised to reserve their rights under in relation to any of that action. But where there is no constraint in relation to pre-COVID defaults, yes, I do think a landlord can move and to enforce the lease. Where I can see potential for dispute is if you have a situation where the tenant is saying, well, but for the pandemic and, and the lockdown, I would have been able to remedy that default. You might get some pushback from tenants arguing, running that type of argument. And, you know, you may have some sympathy. I think landlords need to keep in mind that if a dispute isn't resolved and it does end up before a court or a tribunal, the court and tribunal will also need to have regard to the code and it is a consumer-friendly piece of legislation. So, you know, it, it could go in favour of the tenant. I think that that's correct. Clearly the tenant's rights for relief against forfeiture have not been affected by this. That's very clear from the legislation. So, yeah. yes, I agree. I guess the other question is, why would the landlord terminate during this prescribed period? It seems unlikely that there's going to be a lot of tenants flooding to get into retail centres, for example. That's a good point, because even if you have the right to terminate, um, do you necessarily want to in the current environment where you know, landlords don't have a lot of or may not have a lot of options in terms of finding an alternate tenant? And you might instead use it as an opportunity to negotiate a, an interim solution that will work for both landlord and tenant. So you know, I'm sure there will be some cases where the landlord might be better off having a tenant in a property, in a commercial property, paying a reduced rent just to keep the lights on and, and you know, leave the place looking more attractive than it would look if it was abandoned. So, yeah, I agree. It's You might have the right to terminate, but, you know, does it make commercial sense to really terminate in the current environment? Correct. And, of course, the landlord will need the income. And on that note... I think we might wrap up this instalment of our journey into the COVID-19 leasing world. Emma, I'd like to thank you very much. It's been really interesting. And I'd like to thank everybody for sharing some more time out with Dentons.